Welcome to Mafia, a new podcast telling stories of America's criminal underworld. Gotti assumed the position of head of the Gambino family. And using the name Donnie Brasco, I was able to infiltrate the uh, Bonanno uh, crime family in New York City. Bugsy Siegel is an American mob legend. One man changed the whole texture and landscape of crime in America. Listen to Mafia every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite shows. Five, four, three, two, one. Cue music. This is Movies First with Alex First and Chris Coleman. Hello once again and welcome back to Movies First, the show where we talk about entertainment and where we do the movies first. We commence, as always, by saying hello to Alex First. Greetings, Alex. Christopher, a pleasure, sir. You must be freezing your buns off in Canberra today. Oh, well, winter is winter, but, you know, it, it, it is counterbalanced by summers that don't get as hot here as in other parts of the country. So, you know, it balances out across the year. And Floriard, one of the delights of Canberra, correct? <laughs> it is indeed. Can we review Floriard this year? Can I do that? We I can review yeah. I reckon it's a great idea. I mean, look, I've been a number of times and I've loved it. Absolutely adore Floriard. I sort of kind of find an excuse to go to Canberra around that time of the year. And look, I, I suppose what's special about it is it's also kind of like a change of season. It says to me, ah, yes, yes, we're about to dispense with anything that's cold and we're going into warmer months. Am I wrong? Uh, no, no, it's the, it is that time of year. It, it is a beautiful springtime thing in Canberra. I'm just working out, trying to think, would, would we review it on, on movies first or would we review it on travel first? I would have thought it's a travel first yeah, thing. Okay. It, All right. Yeah, I would have thought it's a travel first because, I mean, it's a destination and it's something to do with the destination. But, but it crosses over into the world of entertainment. There's so much entertainment that ties in with Floriard now. So, you know, so we'll, we'll work that you, out later. Are you saying to me if you put a flower in your hair, that makes you immediately entertaining? <laughs> no, but it has shows and it has rides and it has other other things as, as part right. of Floriad. So, uh, so we're, we're gonna, what we'll do is we'll do 50% of it in one <laughs> and 50% in the other and encourage people to listen to both. Cross-pollinate. <laughs> you like that? Pollinate? Thank what you. Wonderful idea. Uh, it, uh, it will contain... Uh, now, look, I'm just having a very quick look on the website because I haven't actually paid any attention to Floriard 2016 yet. Uh, and, um, no, I've got absolutely no idea what's going what's to be on there <laughs> this year. They've, they've, they've got the dates from the 17th of September to the 16th of October. Uh, but at the moment... Yeah, I, I can't guarantee anything that I, that I say now will actually happen. So let's just no, move away from that and go to the movies. We, we do an enormous amount of preparation for this program. Can't you tell? <laughs> yes. Are you a Jason Bourne fan? Uh, I am. I'm looking forward, and I'm going to use a line from a friend here, I'm looking forward to the movie where he becomes a Christian, and they call it Born Again. Oh, no. Oh, tell your friend, really. <laughs> yeah, stand-up comedy isn't his bit, is it? The The, the reality is that there's been five Jason Bourne movies, but only four starring Matt Damon because he, he basically gave it up in 2007 and then they gave it to Jeremy Renner and now they've given it to Matt Damon again and soon we're going to get Jeremy Renner once more. Are you following? Uh, so we've got Bourne and then we've got, what, Bourne Light? Yeah, yes. <laughs> and then we've got Bourne again and then... Bourne Zero. <laughs> So they've basically made five movies, four starring Matt Damon, one starring Jeremy Renner. There is going to be a sequel to Jeremy Renner's, which hasn't got a date on release yet. So plenty of frantic running and chasing and shooting takes place in Jason Bourne, 
rated M in Australia, 123 minutes. They take out nondescript bit part actors and there's a lot of hand-to-hand combat scenes and there's this humongous car chase. That's what this movie is all about. And if you look at the director of The Bourne Supremacy and The Bourne Ultimatum, Paul Greengrass, he is once again joining forces with Matt Damon for this next chapter, which finds the CIA's most lethal former operative drawn out of the shadows. So let's go back. A couple of decades ago, brilliant young soldier volunteered for an experimental special ops program after he was told that terrorists had killed his father. And he was promised he could honour his family and country by evolving an already impressive intellect, deft agility and adaptable skill set into the unimaginable. But it was all a lie. Subjected to brutal training he doesn't remember by people he couldn't identify, the elite trained assassin who came to be called Jason Bourne was moulded into this $100 million human weapon who, according to his designers, malfunctioned. When Bourne tracked his makers to learn their end game, they tried to erase him and took away the only woman he ever loved. Once he found revenge, learned his real identity and what he believed was the goal of his creators, Bourne felt a semblance of peace and he vanished for what he hoped was forever. But now a new high-tech program is being activated by the CIA. It and other top-secret programs have been hacked into by an agent on Bourne's side, a role filled by Julia Stiles. But that act alone, the act of hacking, again exposes Bourne, and Julia Stiles for that matter, to mortal danger. Hey, Julia Stiles, can I interrupt at this point? Is, you is, can interrupt. Is there, is there an actor who has really been as underdone as her? I reckon she deserves a lot more roles than she's had. I don't disagree with that. You don't see a lot of her. And she's you know, she's good with the Jason Bourne, but, OK, what else? If, if I mean, well, there's one thing I know immediately that she's done. Which was 10 Things I Heard About You. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But she was also in Silver Linings Playbook. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, she's been in some pretty big movies. Mm. But you don't get... It's not as if you say, oh, yeah, Julia Stiles, yeah, she's starring in. Yeah, you, you no. don't see enough of her. I think she is absolutely fabulous. But well, just having a look at her bio, yeah. in terms of it, she was born in 81. So what, what, what does that make, a 35? 35 now, yeah. Yeah, 35. So in turn, she's got 55 credits to her name as an actress, starting, this is from IMDb, starting back in 1993-94 with a TV series which I don't know about, called Ghost Writer. I don't remember right? it, yeah. Right, so that's 93. Well, she would have been only 12 years of age, so yeah. that's quite... Yeah. And lots of bit parts in, in, in things. Her first really high-profile role is the one we've already mentioned, as, as Kat Stratford in 10 Things I Had About You. And then a lot of, again, a lot of bit parts before she turned up in, in The Born Identity and The Born Supremacy mm-hmm. and The Born Ultimatum. So, but... And Silver Linings Playbook, but she's someone who I think deserves a lot more roles. I really, I really like her work, and I just think she needs more more roles. Well, the other thing is that she's gone on to do TV movies again. Mm. Now, you know, that's usually. I'm not saying it these days. There's some very high quality television work, but that suggests to me she's not getting enough roles in cinema. And if I look at her CV, 
She did a short called Sexting in 2010. Oh, she then was in Dexter too, of course. Dexter. I've got no... Well, yeah. that was the point that I was going So she was in Dexter in 2010, and then there was nothing at all in 2011, and a TV series in 2012. So now, by the way, if you look at what's coming up, she's in pre-production for a couple of couple of movies this year and one for pre-production for 2017 so you know let's let's wait and see maybe there'll be a second coming so to speak of julia styles well i hope so i hope so she has actually got a very good role coming up in in uh uh, the, the life story of Mary Pickford, the first. She's going to play uh, Frances Marion in that, uh, which is the, the lead support... Not the lead role, but the, the main supporting role in that. So maybe... Do you think, she, do you think she's a, a lead actress? Do you think she can carry a movie? I think so. I think so. Think, I, I certainly on, hope think, so. Do you think it would bring people to their box offices? Because that's what... That's what the big judgment call is. Do you think she's strong enough for that? There, there's the question. I think they need to give her a crack. All right, you can fund her. <laughs> if only I had the money. The other thing, by the way, is have you ever noticed how much she looks like a young Catherine Zeta Jones? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I see the facial resemblance. Yeah. Absolutely, it's, it's definitely well, there. Anyway, sorry to interrupt. We were talking about we're, to, we're talking about Jason Bourne, which uh, has Julia Stiles in an integral role. It does. Now, the man who most wants Bourne eliminated is the head of the CIA. Tommy Lee Jones plays that role. Tommy Lee he- Jones is a bad guy. Mm-hmm. Love yeah. it. Love it. Yeah, well, he can do no wrong by me. He's a great actor. He covertly engages this ruthless assassin to seek out Bourne and eliminate him. It's a task assigned to Vincent Cassell. And he's got a point man, Jones, here. It's actually a woman who can seemingly find and track anyone, anywhere, in a matter of seconds. CIA tech wizard played by Alicia Vikander. Now, there you go. Here is a lead actor. Right, Alicia Vikander, and she she did Ex Machina, which was just fantastic. Have you seen that? Uh, don't think I have, but I'll oh, add it to the list. She was in The Man from UNCLE. Mm-hmm. I saw that. Saw that recently. Right, she was in The Danish Girl. Really good there too. She was in Burnt. I mean, last year, just to give you some idea, she was in one, two, three, four. She was in five. Four movies and one short last year alone, right? So, and, I mean, next year she's already in post-production and pre-production and completed another movie. So there's three already for next year. She's just hot, hot, hot. And in terms of age, she was born in 88. So she's right? like 28 so, now or just about to turn 28, yeah. And she's an... Not that Julia Stiles is not, but she... Alicia Vikander is absolutely gorgeous, right? So, you know, and... and she, she was wonderful in The Danish Girl, really, really strong, but she was terrific in Ex Machina as well. So she's done a lot of really, really good work, and we're going to see a lot more of this young woman. She, she, By the way, she's a Swedish actress, for those people who may not know her. But there you go. That's Alicia Vikander, who plays the CIA tech wizard. Very different view of the world, I might say, from the director of the CIA, Tommy Lee Jones. Now, like its predecessors, the movie Jason Bourne is is a good-looking turkey. The sets, the settings, the action, the stunts, the acting are all top shelf. And adding a Tommy Lee Jones with his gravitas was a masterstroke. Vikander, as I've said, fast established herself as one of the it actors of our time. So they've done very, very well to get those two. Matt Damon, solid, reliable, his bankable self. 
as he re-establishes the role he first took on in 2002. And it looks and feels like he never actually left. The concept of the truth being elusive is a really good one to continue to build a story around. Somehow, though, the, the constant referrals back to computer screens with writing on them and incessant running around chasing after Bourne started to, well, get to me after a while. It was kind of information overload. And then it simply felt like more of the same Groundhog Day, if you like. Mm -hmm. The car chase at the end has to be seen to be believed because the filmmakers keep on upping the ante. It's almost like you have to top yourself from your previous endeavours to truly succeed. Oh, this is the one. This is the, the one where they shut down the strip on Vegas night after night after night to film it. Yes. Yes. So, so a lot, basically what I'm saying is a lot of what you see in that car chase, they actually did. It's not CGI. It's genuine, genuine boy, car chase. Let yeah. me tell you, you do not want to be within a bull's roar when these two vehicles go head-to-head. -head. One is a seriously heavy-duty vehicle and the other one is a normal car but oh this is quite something so that's wonderful but perhaps an unexpected second string storyline might have made for a welcome surprise it wasn't to be I, I left feeling satisfied but not totally rewarded and I am an unashamed Jason Bourne fan mm -hmm. so look rated M in Australia and runs for 123 minutes uh, 7 out of 10 for Jason Bourne Okay, and a quick tip for anyone thinking of going and thinking, oh, I've got to sit through the the old Bourne movies before uh, going. Uh, obviously, Alex has given you a recap there, but also if, if you if you Google it, Matt Damon recaps Bourne franchise, you can get him giving you the full recap in 90 seconds with lots of very quick flashes from the movies, and it's very clever, and I think more movie makers, especially more sequel makers, should do that. Yes, I agree. I agree, because you don't even remember. I mean, it goes back 14 years, so... Yeah. Yeah, I'm hard-pressed to remember last week on some days. Correct. You know? And when you see as many movies... I was speaking to a colleague today, and the Melbourne International Film Festival is on as we speak, and I've just seen the opening film of the Melbourne International Film Festival, a debut film by an Australian, which is terrific. Rachel Ward is in it, just to give you one name. And it was called The Death and Life of Otto Bloom. There are more than 340 films in the Melbourne International Film Festival, which runs for something like two and a half weeks, right? My mate, who's a reviewer, saw six movies yesterday. Six in a day. Now that, that, That's a lot of movies to sit through. That's 12 hours of sitting in cinemas. And he has to go from venue to venue. And I, I struggle. I reckon, personally... Two movies is fine. Three already becomes hard. The reason I say that is you have to take in what you've seen. As a reviewer, I have to actually have an opinion and back up my opinion. When do you actually have time to write something? I said to him, well, when did you start? He said, oh, first movie's on at 11 o'clock. And I said, when did you end? He said, one o'clock this morning. Oh. So basically over 14 hours, he saw six movies. Yeah. yeah, too many, too many. Tough, tough and, I mean, the hardest thing about film festivals, and and this is where it's difficult because I think film festivals are wonderful. You see things that you're not going to see anywhere else. But that's the whole point. I'd rather be able to recommend something that a large number of people can go and see. And so if if I'm going to the film festival and I, I really thank the publicist for because they've sent me tickets and she's been wonderful, but I said to her, well, look, could you tell me 
which movies you believe are going to get general release so that I can actually talk about something that will encourage others to go along and see, not just at a film festival, but if they happen to be on the moon, they'll still be able to see it. No, I'm being facetious. But you know what I mean, if, wherever they happen to be, because if you see something and it's only got three or four showings at best and then it disappears, then maybe you'll be able to see it on DVD or on Blu-ray, but if it's not going to be coming out in cinemas, it's very difficult for me to recommend on movies first. No, indeed, indeed. So uh, we should mention that, though, and just that the, the Melbourne International Film Festival runs till the 14th of August and there's heaps of things on. Oh, it's, it's wonderful. It's the biggest film festival in Australia. It keeps on going. It's By the way, it's the 65th year, and it was on at Hamer Hall. It was a great... Oh, Geoffrey Rush. Oh, what a speech he gave. Rhyming, absolutely had the audience in the palm of his hands. He is just magnificent, that man. And I say that because he's so loyal to Australia. He's, I think he's chair of the Melbourne International Film Festival or a title like that. If it's not chair, it's some other bigwig title. He was just magnificent. And you know, he, there's causes. I, I know he was, uh, he was a few years ago, he was on about uh, a local railway station. Even though he goes overseas, he's an Oscar winner, He's all of these things. It, this is what's so great about Australian actors. They never forget where home is. You know, really, that's I mean that it's wonderful. It, they, and somebody like Jeffrey Rush, who could have tickets on himself, absolutely doesn't come across like that at all. Um, really admire the man enormously. Yeah, you, you mentioned uh, Jeffrey Rush, and I, I remember when he was absolutely at, at the height of his powers, uh, when he was. Uh, I can't remember if it was, it was just before or just after he'd won the Best Actor Award. What, what year was Shine? When did he win that, the, the Academy Award for Shine? What was not Shine? 1996, well, it, 97 thereabouts, wasn't it? It, it was 96. So yeah, yeah. the movie came out in 96. So, I mean, fundamentally, so I presume he would have won it in 97. But regardless of that, it's hard to believe it was that many years ago because, I mean, it, it, <laughs> Shine was one of the great movies and 30 years have gone by you see, see why i mentioned shine was mm -hmm. that also in 1996 and bear in mind he, he filmed shine and i remember talking geez i remember talking to david Helfgott's wife sorry i said 96 uh, as i thought was thinking 86 yeah. 20 years have gone 20 by years, oh, yeah. Yeah, he won, it, he won it in 97, as I thought, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember talking at, at the time to, to David Helfcott's wife uh, when Shine had just picked up, all the accolades had picked up at Robert Redford's Sundance Film Festival. And she said how wonderful Geoffrey Rush was in it and to look out for him come Academy Awards season. Uh, and uh, you know, <laughs> a prediction which turned out to be remarkably correct. But what amazed me was, only a matter of a couple of weeks later, this little drama popped up on ABC TV called Mercury. Um, and I don't know if you ever saw it or if it stuck in your mind, but it was about a weekly newspaper in Melbourne going down the tubes. Mm -hmm. uh, and it starred, lo and behold, the lead role uh, was Geoffrey Rush. You know, Now, he's a guy who has just shot one of the best movies ever made, Put in one of the best acting performances in Hollywood by an Australian ever done, and his next project was to come back home and do a 13-week a drama for the ABC that I enjoyed, that never went on to any great critical acclaim or anything, but I enjoyed, and then it disappeared again. Yeah, you know, well, it, it speaks volumes about him, not just now, but 20 years ago. Exactly, and this is a guy who's won an Oscar, he's won a couple of Golden Globes, he's won an Emmy, and he's won a couple of... No, three BAFTAs. So, I mean, 
<laughs> he's extraordinary. He can and, pick and choose whatever he likes to do, basically, and it's great to see what he does. And he's got a great voice. Now, how old do you reckon Jeffrey Rush is by uh, now? He'd, he'd be in his mid-60s. Yep, correct. He He's by now 65. He doesn't look it. I think he looks fabulous. Anyway, good on you, Jeffrey. Well done. And to everybody associated with Melbourne International Film Festival, uh, I dips my lids uh, or dips my lid. It's it's uh, it's a great event, and uh, you know other other cities have also got great film festivals. But sixty five years is one of the oldest film festivals in the world. I bet it is. I bet it is. Uh, we should move on. We have other things, and some of these may actually these next couple may wind up turning up at festivals and so on. I know. Uh, the next one has a bit of a release on at the moment. I, I, shall, I shall give, I shall give the, the foreign language title, uh, El Abrazo de la Serpiente. Uh, huh? Yeah, Embrace <laughs> of the Serpent. Yeah, Very... yeah. I, I was giving the foreign title. No, I, was, no, I, was, I, I was trying to class the joint up a bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I got it, I got it. Very good. Rated M in Australia, 125 minutes. Why is it, Chris, that film purists and aficionados so readily embrace the obscure? Beats I mean, me, but we'd be out of a job without of it. Well, here's a title that was, it was actually nominated for Best Foreign Language Film at the Oscars this year, and it collected eight Colombian equivalents, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Screenplay, Best Cinematography. It's going to appeal to three men and a dog. So oh, let's okay. talk about it anyway. Yeah, well, look, I recognise I'm probably being unnecessarily harsh, but the point is this black-and-white lyrical work is about the metaphysical, and there really isn't much of an audience out there for that. Especially it, when uh, you consider that it's in, what, Spanish or Portuguese or one, or yeah, one of those, but, yeah. yeah. Well, but it, it tells the story, an important story, the first counter or first contact, the encounter, the approach, betrayal, and eventually life-transcending friendship between Karamakate a powerful Amazonian shaman, and two scientists over 40 years. Karamakate is the last survivor of his people who lives deep in the jungle in voluntary isolation. Decades of solitude have turned him into an empty shell of a human being, devoid of memories and emotion. His hollow life is shaken with the arrival of an American ethnobotanist in search of a powerful, sacred plant, capable of teaching people how to dream. His name is Evan. And together, Evan and Karamakate embark on a journey into the heart of the Amazon in which past, present and future are intertwined and through which Karamakate will slowly begin to regain his lost memories. The film was inspired by the journals of the first explorers of the Colombian Amazon a German ethnologist and an American botanist. The director's a guy called Ciro Guerra. He was out to look beyond the fashion of seeing the Amazon as an unfathomable land, foolishly reduced to simple concepts like coke and drugs and Indians and rivers and war. And he asked the question, is there really nothing more out there? Is there not a culture and a history? Isn't there a soul that transcends? That's when he looked at the explorers who left everything behind. They, they risked all to tell us about a world we just couldn't imagine. The film queries whether man can, through science and art, transcend brutality. Because like so many other natives, these people were driven out of their land by brutal and greedy tyrants. And it was filmed over seven weeks in the jungles. First fiction feature 
to be shot in the Colombian Amazon in more than 30 years. And it was also the first Colombian film to feature an indigenous protagonist and to be told from his perspective. But beyond Amazonia, this is also a story about friendship, loyalty and betrayal. The crew's purpose was to approach the native communities and establish a relationship of mutual knowledge and respect. So to be transparent in every negotiation, always remembering that this is their land. The screenplay was mostly written by Ciro Guerra during the course of four years. And co-writer Jacques Toulamon came on board for the final drafts, helped to shape a non-Western tale for audiences used to Western storytelling. It's worth noting that of the very few films that have actually been shot in the Amazon, almost all of them have been told from the explorer's point of view. And Amazon natives have often been seen as primitive savages. So telling the story involved a multiracial, multicultural and multilingual set. I was really impressed by the commitment to telling the story and by the challenges involved in making the movie. But its poetic nature does not make it readily accessible. It takes a lot of work, requires concentration to follow and a lot of time. Too long, as far as I'm concerned, several times I switched off. I was impressed by the acting, particularly of Jan Bijvoy, a Flemish actor who plays the first scientist to find his way through to this part of the world. He's managed to capture both vulnerability and strength. So too, Nil Bio Torres, who plays the younger Karamakate with fortitude and conviction. He's the only one who can rescue an ailing Bijvoye, and he does so most reluctantly. Torres is this amazing physical presence he has. His physique has been sculpted by the hardships of the jungle. I kid you not, the hard work he's done since he was little, because this is his first experience with cinema, Embrace the, of the Serpent. He's 30 years of age. He'd only worked in agriculture before making this movie. Does the movie stack up? Because if uh, th- this intrigues me now. He's gone from farming, basically, to, uh, uh, to movie making. He has, and he does a really good job. And given the historic nature of the material, the decision to shoot in black and white was not only understandable, but highly appropriate. So all of the technicalities are right, but still as respectful as the film turns out to be and as honourable to the memories of a proud people, it doesn't make it easy to get your head around and to enjoy. It also happens to be far too long. As I say, 125 minutes. So, yeah, I mean, it's some people are going to love this and say, oh, you know, uh, fawn over it and, as I say, nominated for Best Foreign Language Film. I don't think many people are going to see it. It's not a bad movie, but I'm going to give it a 5 out of 10, Embrace of the Serpent. Okay, Embrace of the Serpent, the first of two foreign language films for this week. Our second one is called The Second Mother, or if you prefer, Quejoras e la Volta, question mark. Very impressed. Uh, I've been practising this. Very good. Rated M, 112 minutes, M in Australia. Val is the kind of live-in housekeeper who takes her work seriously. She wears a crisp maid's uniform while serving perfect canapes. She attends to her wealthy Sao Paulo employers day in and day out while lovingly nannying their teenage son, whom she's raised since he was a toddler. Everyone and everything in the elegant house in Sao Paulo has its place. Until one day... Val's ambitious, clever daughter, Jessica, arrives from Val's hometown to take her college entrance exams. Her confident, youthful presence upsets the unspoken yet strict balance of power in this household. When Jessica turns up, cohabitation is no longer easy. She doesn't conform to the standards that have been set and those that are expected. 
tension ensues. Everyone is going to be affected by the girl's personality and candor. Val has to decide whether her allegiances lie with her daughter or with her employer. And what is she willing to sacrifice? The backstory which is integral to this plot is that Val left her daughter in a small town to be raised by her father and his new wife. And she then spent the next 13 years working as a nanny and cleaning house and serving meals. She's got financial stability, but she's got to live with the guilt of not having raised Jessica herself. The director, Anne or Anna Mouillard, started writing the script for the second mother 20 years ago when she had her first child. And that's when she noticed the extent to which the task of raising a child is devalued in Brazilian culture. And this is what she says. In my social circles, rather than looking after your own baby, more often you're hired you hired a live-in nanny and outsourced most of the work, considered tedious and draining. But those nannies very often have to leave their own kids with someone else in order to fit into that scheme. That social paradox struck her as one of the most significant in Brazil because it's always the kids who lose out, both those of the employees and those of the nannies. The question that's raised is, can affection be bought and if so, at what price? So she didn't set out to judge or glamorise the characters and their actions, just to sort of show the naked truth. The dramatic structure of The Second Mother is dry, almost mathematical. It starts out by describing the routines and rules that govern relations in an upper-class household in Sao Paulo. That done, the focus shifts to Jessica, the nanny's daughter, who blows into the domestic setting with no experience of the house and so ends up crossing certain lines and occupying spaces she's not supposed to. Of course, she's expelled from those spaces that historically are off-limits to her. She's put in a place, only that place no longer exists. So it's a slice-of-life reality piece. It's fascinating. It's engaging. Regina Case is excellent in the lead role of Val, highly credible as the mother that has remarkable respect and tolerance, and yet hiding a past that continues to haunt her. The shifting power balance is not surprisingly, what really makes this movie the strong vehicle that it is. In storms this vibrant, vital, take-no-prisoners young woman who's not prepared to play by society's rules regarding a class-conscious society. She's, she's got personality to burn but becomes too hot to handle. Camilla Mardilla plays the role almost nonchalantly as if the whole thing's no big deal. At the beginning, her relationship with her mother is fraught because someone else has brought her up and she believes her mother is kowtowing when she need not kowtowing to her employers. It's also a story about the haves and have-nots and about a sense of entitlement. So importantly, The Second Mother is a film about a set of social rules which have been in place in Brazilian culture since colonial times and which continue to affect its emotional architecture to this very day. There you go. The Second Mother at 112 Minutes. There we go. A score for the second mother? Seven and a half to eight out of ten. Okay, so it's been a diverse session across the movies this week on Movies First, and now something a little bit different. We're, instead of talking about a live show, we're going to talk about a live theatre company. Uh, Alan Cat. Yeah, look, I, I wanted to talk about this because I love what they do. I go and see a lot of theatre and love my theatre, musical theatre and dramatic theatre and comedic theatre, etc., one of the great little untold stories of Melbourne is the Owl and Cat Theatre in Swan Street in Richmond. I've seen a lot of great stuff that they've done, 
And about oh, 18 months ago or so, two people took it over. There was a guy called Jason Kavanagh, who is a really good actor, and he, he used to basically run the place. And he sold it to a couple, young people. I mean, Jason himself is only probably, I'm just guessing, mid-30s, something of that nature, if that. He sold it to a couple. I think the guy's 27 or 28, and the, the, I think she's, he's 27, and the young lady's 30. And they co-run it. They're both actors. She's a director. He's also a brilliant screen, uh, brilliant scriptwriter. He can turn, churn out scripts in a matter of minutes, and you know, it, it, or it seems that way, or certainly in a matter of weeks. And I, I've seen a lot of stuff. What they put on is original material, so it's either world premiere stuff or Australian premiere stuff, and they give young actors a go. And it's it's sort of it is semi-professional. I mean, these these are the actors who want to make a living and a good living, but they don't pay them a lot of money because they don't take a lot of money the cost of the shows is very very reasonable and you can you know, buy a show and a drink you know that's the way they encourage you to do it and it's it's fabulous they're really innovative they're clever most of their shows only run for a few days at the moment and fortunately next season they're going to be running for three weeks the problem with that i can talk to you about a show for example that i saw last week which was very interesting but it's already finished so as much as i can talk about it nobody can get to see it so Next season, they're going to be putting on shows that last far more than sort of four performances, which is I, I saw opening night of a show last week and it finished a couple of days ago. So just watch out for them. The, you can Google them. The Owl and Cat Theatre, 34 Swan Street in Richmond in Melbourne, well worth checking out. And there's still a number of shows if you happen to be in Melbourne, either you live here or you're on holidays, very reasonably priced really creative i've loved a lot of their stuff not everything i mean some of the stuff uh, just sort of was a little bit too esoteric i i prefer stuff that i can at the end of walk out of and even if i have to think about i can still make head nor tail of uh, and and most of their stuff is like that but give them a go because you know i've got nothing but the highest of admiration for the two of them that gabrielle savrone and and thomas e. and church are the names of the two people who run the place they as i say are actors and directors and 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 script writers uh of, of quite some reputation already and they put on shows every few weeks so you know you won't you and the beaut part of it is I, one of the greatest things that i ever did they put on something called bordello last year which was set in a sex den and it was over three floors and you basically that there was i think there were six actors if I'm not mistaken, and you you went up and down this old house, which is where the theatre is, and you could follow various threads of a story. So there were was theatricality happening in different rooms, and it was up to you which one you followed. I, di I did it two nights in a row, and it was fascinating because I picked up a lot more going back a second time. It was interactive theatre the way I'd never seen it before. One of the greatest things that I'd seen. So I'm, I'm encouraging them to do more of that stuff. But they try new things. So, for example, the movie, the movie, the, the show I saw last week, they had the playwright, who's an American playwright, very, very, uh, I think he's done about 50 different shows. They had him on Skype watching opening night from America via <laughs> Skype. I thought that was great. And That's so I talked, I talked to him after the show. I asked him what, what was his inspiration, and he said it was semi-autobiographical. And... This was the show, by the way, was called A Very Modern Marriage. And it, it really was about 
a relationship between a couple that were having their difficulties. They were married. They were celebrating their fourth anniversary, and her best friend, one one of her good friends, was a gay guy. And the gay guy chose the night of their fourth wedding anniversary to say that he left his partner and was moving in with them, much to the chagrin of the husband. And it took took place thereafter, and it talks talked about the relationship between the three of them. You know, so if you if you like the relationship between the two guys, the relationship between the gay guy and the wife, and the relationship between the wife and the husband, and it was very clever and it was very comical, and there were, it was also quite dramatic. So that that's the sort of stuff that they do. And for example, the the other thing. I think it was two or three days earlier, the previous Friday, this was a one-off and it was called Orgasm. And basically there were, how many, six 10-minute plays and there were a couple of intervals in between. The place was jam-packed. It only seats about 40 people and I think there were 60 in there that night. And the the key to it was every there were certain rules in fact hang on i'm going to reach over see if i can read you the rules because this was really something different mm. and they're about to do this again i'm just going to try and find this <laughs> talk, talk, talk <laughs> while, while you're looking there i'll mention I've that I've, I've pulled up I've, the uh, alan cat website which is um alancat.com.au can i say i like any mob who go as far as actually giving a plug to their friendly bar staff on the uh, on their website? So to to Colin, Grace, Catherine, and Caitlin, who are the uh, aforementioned friendly bar staff, a thumbs up to you and thumbs up to Alan Cat for mentioning them on their website. Very good. So th- here it is: orgasm, a theatrical drinking game. The rules: whenever you hear or see one of the following elements, drink. Here are the elements: orgasm noises are made. Philosophical wisdom is imparted. A prop is used as something it is not. A piece of clothing is added or removed. That's it. And then there were six plays. I enjoyed four of the six. So, again, isn't that great that they're creative? And I, I walk out of there thinking, wow, you know, this is it. They're giving young playwrights a go. They're giving young actors a go. They just went to Alaska to a playwright conference, playwriters conference that takes place annually there. And one of the shows I didn't like, they took, they, they took and performed in Alaska. And they've taken, they've, they've picked up some material over there that they're going to play over here. It's just that sort of iterative process. That's why I'm raving about them because in a sense, I, I've said to them, I can't, I, I'm going to be straight. If I don't like something, I will review it because I don't like it. But they've almost become mates because I just love the energy levels every time I walk into that theatre. So congratulations to Gabrielle Savrone and Thomas Ian Church. They're doing something rather special that I haven't seen done anywhere else. There we go. So that is a little bit of a different review for us today. The Allen Cat Company uh, and uh, their website, as I mentioned before, allencat.com.au. And Alex, uh, we will return in a few days' time with another edition of Movies First. Until then, my good friend, always a pleasure. Likewise, sir. Yes, do check it all out. And, uh, yeah, go and see Jason Bourne. Yes, Matt Damon. I don't think there'd be too many actors that bring more dollars into coffers than than matt damon does he a number of years ago he was being paid way under the odds with regards to his salary that's changed now but gee his take at the box office is in the billions of dollars by now and he is 
undoubtedly one of the nicest guys. Well, he comes across as one of the nicest guys, one of the most grounded fellows in Hollywood. So well done to him, and I'll catch you next week. You've been listening to Movies First with Alex First and Chris Coleman. Subscribe to the full podcast at Audioboom, Stitcher and iTunes or your favourite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com. Welcome to Mafia, a new podcast telling stories of America's criminal underworld. Gotti assumed the position of head of the Gambino family. And using the name Donnie Brasco, I was able to infiltrate the uh, Bonanno uh, crime family in New York City. Bugsy Siegel is an American mob legend. One man changed the whole texture and landscape of crime in America. Listen to Mafia every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite shows.